Welcome to House Church. Uh, this is our very first house church, the way church was done 2,000 years ago when we first learned that we could not be in TJ uh, for three Sundays in the year. We were quite disappointed about all of that, uh, but I think God's kind of opened our eyes that this is a great thing, not a disappointing thing, so we're quite excited about it. Uh, it can be a little boring to speak just to a camera for those of you watching from a house somewhere here in uh, Virginia. Do we have any in D.C.? Any D.C. house churches? We do? Oh, that's fantastic. You can speak. One. It's we cool. got one. Uh, so uh, we have a live audience here, so it won't be so stale and, uh, and boring. And so um, anyway, uh, just like the first class, big time television ministry churches that uh, you see, we uh, have an audience that's similar in many ways to that. They're super excited to be here tonight. They're full of energy. They are completely engaged and totally focused on the message. Is it over yet? So we're really looking forward to an amazing time this evening. This is part two of a message that began last Sunday at TJ. Uh, I laid a lot of groundwork last week, just two minutes on the review, okay? So um, it's really important to understand why in the world are we trying to dig pride out of our hearts? Why would we want to go to all that effort to do that? God wants our best. God wanted Israel's best to take place. And so the storyline goes that God delivers them from bondage in Egypt, and he's taking them to the promised land, but they can't, they can't go in. They can't go into the promised land. And the promised land represents God's best, that God wants the best for all of us. And the writer of Hebrews calls it God's rest. And they couldn't go in because scriptures say they had a sinful, unbelieving heart. And here's the important clarification. A sinful, unbelieving heart is when we reject known truth. When we reject something that we know to be true, not something we're trying to figure out, but we absolutely know it to be true and we know it's for our best and we reject it, that's the sinful, unbelieving heart. Now, why in the world would somebody do that? Number one reason is pride. And I do it all the time and maybe some of you do it as well. So uh, when I don't hold my tongue when I know I should hold my tongue, when I lose my cool or my patience when I know that I shouldn't do that, when I should pray before I actually go out and do stuff, particularly major decisions and even some minor decisions, I should pray first and I don't do it. When I should seek advice and I don't take the time to do that, when I should extend forgiveness and I don't do that. And I know all these things are truth. I know they're all in my best interest, but I don't do them and the reason I don't do them is because of pride. Pride holds me back from doing these things. And so here's the thing about pride and humility, and I know I said this last week, but this just it seems so true to me. Humility is one of those such an elusive thing, one of those elusive things that once I say I got it, I no longer have it. What exactly is it? And is it tangible in the Bible? It is, and there's so many references, and there's a lot of points. We did four last week. I'm going to do seven quick ones tonight, but uh, there are a lot lot of areas, tangible areas that we can work on digging pride out of our hearts and growing in humility. So uh, you have a little outline there before you. Let's go across these uh, 70s quickly here. First of all, pride maximizes others' faults. Humility minimizes others' faults. So Matthew chapter 7, the beginning of Matthew 7, the famous, the classic one about Jesus, and he's telling the story about you know, you're looking at the speck 
in somebody else's eye when you have this huge lumber yard in your own eye. Jesus liked to you know, exaggerate things to an extreme to make his point, and he actually said a whole lumber yard. So that's a classic one. I, I want to give you another one about how pride maximizes other people's faults. So in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 54, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and uh, the Jewish people had a major problem with Samaritans uh, back in those days and vice versa, Samaritans with Jewish people. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he sends some of his disciples ahead to a little town that's just up ahead and, and, and basically saying, would you welcome Jesus in? And he's on his way to And they said, no, actually we wouldn't. You know, we don't, we don't want to come in here. And so James and John you know, part of the inner three circle, James and Peter, James, and James and John say, Jesus, should we call down fire out of heaven on them? And Jesus says, of course not. Now, what is so interesting about this is how they just completely blow up. They want to call fire down just simply because they, we'd rather you not to stop there. Now, what had happened just prior to that in Luke, the immediate story prior to that happening, them wanting to call fire down, is the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest amongst themselves. And it's such a, what a contrast there. So often what happens is pride wants to maximize other people's faults, but it minimizes our own faults. Here's the thing we have to ask ourselves. Are you finding yourself getting irritated and everywhere you look you're seeing people's faults or where they're letting you down? Do you find it easy to be critical? Do you, do you find, do you find we're having some, um, some stuff going on here in the audience as we're talking? So uh, if you find it easy to be critical, that's pride at work in you because that's what pride does. Faults of other people just glare, glare at you and you minimize your own. Second one is this. Pride deserves the grace of God, but humility is overwhelmed by it. Pride deserves the grace of God. God, but humility is completely overwhelmed by it. Love this story that Jesus tells in Luke 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you feel a sense of entitlement, that you're entitled to something better from God, more from God, more than other people, somehow entitled to a better life or more grace, somehow you deserve it. That is pride at work in your heart. That is what this story is telling us. I deserve those things. Number three, pride shifts the blame, humility accepts it. Pride shifts the blame and humility accepts it. When you encounter a problem, do you find yourself figuring out how it is somebody else's fault? Like when something goes wrong, does your mind, does your mind just start going and trying to think of how can it be somebody, something, someone else's fault? The classic 
example of this where this whole thing began is in Genesis chapter 3. God shows up in the garden after Adam and Eve have eaten of the tree that they should have never touched or been around, right? So they should not have eaten of it. And so God says to Adam, did you eat of the tree? And what does he say? He says, well, the woman, he immediately blames, he immediately shifts the blame, says, well, it's her fault. And, the, and then says, Eve, did you do this thing? And she says, well, it's the snake. The snake, this, so the constant shifting of the blame rather than saying, yep, you know, my bad. <laughs> I should have never done this. First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Sometimes um, when we're caught in a tough situation, we will let our minds run crazy trying to figure out some way to get ourselves off the hook. That is not my fault. I, I know somebody who has a bad habit of constantly misplacing things. They're losing things. And what's interesting is very seriously, they'll say this all the time. Somebody stole it. Somebody stole it. The moment that thing's got somebody, of course, nobody has ever stolen it. It always turns up after a lot of looking, but immediately it's somebody stole it, right? So, you know, you just think about times when you're in a difficult spot, whether you've misplaced something or you've had an argument. Something's going on. Is it immediately, well, uh, you know, you're trying to figure out how can it, it's got to be somebody. Pride hates to be on the hook. It irritates pride to be on the, it irritates pride to say, yep, my bad, I'm completely wrong here, I messed up here. It can't stand it. It has to shift the blame to something else. Number four, pride is annoyed by the successes of others. Humility rejoices in it. All right, King Saul and then David, who would be king. Um, great example. So, Here's David. He is a commander. He's a general in Saul's army. He's doing a great job. And, you know, God's with him. He's having incredible successes. Well, one day as he's riding into town, um, the song that was topping the charts in Jerusalem was this song that Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. That drove Saul completely berserk. He could not take it that David was having so much success. It drove him nuts. And even though David had done nothing but be loyal to him and build Saul up and was a great asset in his army, the next thing David knew is he was having spears thrown at him. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Does it bother you when something good happens to somebody else? When somebody else gets the promotion, when somebody else gets engaged, when somebody else gets married, when somebody else has a baby, when somebody else gets the new house or the new car, or they get a special answer to prayer, does it inwardly annoy you and irritate you to see other people, things going well for them? Because pride does not like that. It's annoyed by that. Number five. Now, these last three, I want to turn my focus to Samson because he is such a wonderful place to get examples out of. And so all of these final three, I want to choose a story uh, from a different section of his life that's going on here. So number five, pride interrupts the conversation. Humility listens patiently. So Judges 14, verse number three. Here's a little bit of lead into this. Samson had seen woman that he wanted to marry. He should have never been uh, shopping for a wife in the area of the country that he was in, and, uh, but he went ahead and did it anyway. And so he's gone to tell his parents, hey, 
This is who I want you to go out and make arrangements. I want to marry her. So here's the response from his parents. His father and mother answered, Surely there is a woman from Israel that you can marry. Do you have to marry a woman from the Philistines who are not circumcised? But Samson said, Get that woman for me. She's the one I want. Now, it does not say here that he interrupted them, that he cut off their conversation, anything like that. But you get the sense as you read about Samson's life, that's exactly what went on. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where they just were cutting you off? Like everything you said, you know, they were right on the edge of your words, like, uh, 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 you know, and you could never complete a thought, particularly when a conversation gets a little bit heated. When you're in a conversation with somebody and they're constantly cutting off, or maybe you're cutting them, somebody off, right? That's pride wanting to do that. Because pride wants to interrupt. It wants to get its point out. It wants to cut off. It wants to shut the other person up. It wants to say what it wants to say. And the other person listens, right? And just shuts up and listens. And, then, and pride gets its point out. I had a situation many years ago in a neighborhood that I lived in where there was a little problem going on in the neighborhood. And I was speaking to a neighbor trying to explain something about the problem that was going on. In the midst of my little short, here's the story, um, they cut me off, said, well, I don't care about that. That's your problem. Now, I couldn't even complete my thought. Now, my pride rose up when they said that to me. And I said, well, now it's going to be your problem, too. I can guarantee you that. But that wasn't, that, you know, that, wasn't, that wasn't the best thing for me to You know, what I should have done, rather than allowing my pride to react that way, I should, I should have said, well, wait a minute. Time out. Let's take a time out. Let's take a time out. I don't think that we're going to have a productive conversation and actually get this situation under control unless you understand my side of the story, unless you understand what's going on in the neighborhood, we're not going to be productive. We have to understand each other, and that's what humility, humility wants to seek. It seeks understanding, not an interruption. So when you're in a conversation and you're wanting to butt, butt, and you're wanting to jump in, like you notice somebody, they take a pause when they breathe or something, you're like, ooh, here's my shot, bam, and I want to run right in there and stop them right there on the edge of their words or the edge of their thoughts, this is a problem. And when, when that's going on, that's pride. Pride wants to interject itself in the middle of a conversation and shut the other person down because it's interested only in what it has to say. Humility wants to listen patiently and seeks to understand number six. And this is what Samson did, okay? Number six, pride is a troubled teammate. Humility enjoys cooperation. All right, God had gifted Samson and raised Samson up to be a leader. He'd given him tremendous potential, tremendous gifts to be a great leader, but he never led anybody. He only led himself, and he didn't even do that well. So he goes down, you know, he's going to get married, and he gets there, he arrives in this town with his family, right, and they're going to have this marriage. Look what it says in verses 10 and 11. It says, Now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. And when he appeared, he was given 30 companions, he was given 30 friends when he shows up. Why was he given friends? Because he didn't have any friends. Pride wants to go it alone. It's kind of a lone ranger. Now, that doesn't mean somebody who doesn't have friends doesn't have an issue with pride, right? What it means is this. If you have a problem cooperating with other people, if you have a problem being on a team, a committee, 
or a board or a group that jointly is trying to figure something out together, if that irritates you, that's pride at work. That's pride at work. And this is where, this is where Samson is. This irritated him greatly. He just wanted to do his own thing. Ephesians 5.21 says we should submit to one another out of reverence for God. When you, here's the problem with being in a group of people, being on a team, trying to decide something and working together, is that it's, it's supposed to be groupthink, right? It's supposed to be group understanding. We're doing this thing together. We're trying to figure this out together as a group, right? Well, that means this, that no one person should, like, dominate all of that, right? This should be this collaboration of all the brains in the room and all the backgrounds and all the gifts and all the talents coming together for one grand purpose. That's what it should be. If being in that kind of environment irritates you, that's pride at work because pride comes in there and says, you know what, you've got to get your way. So here's the question. How do you like the word no? If the word no is offensive to you, what's offensive to you is pride. It eats. This is what offended Samson. He was so offended when he heard the word no. He was so offended that he wouldn't even work with other people. He didn't try to lead Israel at all. Because Israel might say to him, well, no, Samson, maybe there's a different way to do it. So he didn't want to get into that, so he was by himself all the time. Pride hates committees, it hates boards, it hates teams, it hates cooperation. It wants it its way, it wants to control things. That's, that's, that's just what it's all about. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, which had massive pride, pride issues. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Unity is important. We have to deal with our pride in order to get to a place of unity. Number seven, we're almost done here. Pride belittles and humility builds up. Pride belittles and humility builds up. This is quite interesting. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now check this out. Look what verse number 30 says. Right in the middle of talking about, you know, choosing our words wisely, don't tear people down. What does it immediately say? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do we grieve God's Holy Spirit? How do we quench the Holy Spirit? How do we stop the Spirit of God? What, I mean, how does that happen? When we use our words to tear other people down, God hates it, and it grieves the Holy Spirit to do so. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Tearing other people down grieves the Spirit of God. And what we see in the life of Samson is when he had a problem, he had a little tiff with his wife, when things weren't going just like he wanted to, and he got angry, even though it was his fault, what did he, what did he do? Did he call his wife a name? Yes, he did. He said, she is a heifer, a heifer, which is a young cow. Now, I know he lived many years ago. I don't care what culture he lived in. I just, I think that, that probably in any culture you're in, calling your new wife a young cow is probably a bad, it's, it does, it's not good. It's just not a good thing to do. When you get frustrated, when I get frustrated with people, what is my immediate reaction? Is it, yeah, right. Is it, am I going to call them some name that's going to cut them down? I mean, what? 
What rises up in me? Because that thing that rises up in me that wants to say, you, whatever, right? That's pride. And how do we deal with it? We have to dig the pride out of our hearts. And here, here are seven tangible ways at how we actually go about doing that. How we begin to cultivate humility, we dig pride out, and when we do that, our hearts are no longer sinful and unbelieving, rejecting known truth and God's best. Now we can enter into the rest of God, to the best of God, and experience a life of spiritual rest without spiritual stress, which is where the Israelites had to live for 40 years in spiritual stress because they wouldn't dig the pride out of their own hearts. This is why we want to do this. Last thing, I just a little suggestion. If um, we've gone through this and maybe you're struggling to figure out it was easy to figure out other people in the midst of these 11 things and these two parts of this message, but maybe it was difficult to figure out your own place, these 11 things. Just a considered thought. You might want to go to somebody that you really know and you really trust and that kind of stuff. You want to read the 11 things to them and say, do you see anything? And you know, you think maybe possibly, could I have any of these things here? And then just let them talk, okay? and give them freedom talk. It could be a really interesting conversation. A really interesting conversation. So this is really important. I want to conclude with a word of prayer and just, you know, again, God really, really wants our best. He wants us to live a life of spiritual rest, not stress. He wants to move us to that place. Pride stands in direct opposition to God's best to us. And the Bible gives us these wonderful, tangible ways how to dig pride out of our hearts. And that's why we need to do the hard work of letting God do this. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for everybody in this room. I thank you for everybody who's watching on a TV screen uh, somewhere around the D.C. area. God, I pray that you would help each one of us along with you and your wisdom and your strength and your guiding hand to dig the pride out of our hearts so we can experience the best you have for us. God, we don't want half of your best or a small portion of your best. God, we desire to move completely into the promised land that you have for us. God, I pray that you would bless every single person and their families, that your hand would overshadow us and you would help us to walk the path that you desire us to walk. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for listening.